0: As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our recurring guest today, Brady Volmering. Last time Brady was on the podcast, he was the head of DAC baseball and was very specific in the sports of baseball and talking about technique work, talking about a very specific side of sports performance. And recently, within the last six months, Coach Brady has branched out to become DAC Performance and Health. And it's really cool to see how he's kind of taken his expertise and expanded it to the entire field of sports performance. And one of the really cool things that he mentions right away in the start of the podcast is He would see these 11 year olds come to him in the the baseball community and talk about they want to they want to work on their swing they want to work on skill work and he's like the last thing that you need is more skill work you need to just level up who you are as a human being and that's kind of where our conversation went we 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 talked about today how to level yourself up as a human being how we can bring intent and awareness to the human body and how this is helpful to long-term athletic development with our athletes and his approach to the thousand rep scheme, very Dr. Tommy John-ish, where you do things for 10 to 20 minutes straight. You know, there's no more three by ten sets and rep schemes. You you do you hold a rep for five to ten minutes. You do these crazy insane in quotation insane feats with your physical body to try and unlock a new depth of understanding of who you really are and what your athletic potential really is. This is a phenomenal podcast. We, we talked about it afterwards after we stopped recording, but this one kind of just rolled off the tongue. We both and I, him and I were just shooting back ideas and it was really, really cool to see and take notes with. Thank you guys for listening. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakam Strength Insider. The Yoakam Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakam Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakam Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30 page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. All right, Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome back to the podcast. We got 2.0 with Mr. Performance now instead of Mr. Baseball. (laughs) Yes, thanks for having me back, man. You want to tell the people a little bit about that transition? So last time we had you on, you were Dak baseball and and you're covering all the baseball side of things. And it was, it was pretty specific. And I geeked out of it because geeked out about it because I was in the softball world and trying to talk about the swing and trying to talk about, I really loved how you broke down the intention behind the swing. But in the last six months to a year, you've transitioned into Mr. Performance and it's it's really cool to see the transition. It's really cool to see kind of the, the the thought process that goes behind human performance and how you're doing it. Can you talk about that transition and what that was like for you and why you made that transition?
1: Yeah, for sure. So just for a little backstory, so yeah, i I mean, the backstory is on the first podcast that we did, but just like had grown up, and baseball was my thing. So eventually, like I started this baseball business and had an actual like facility that I was training baseball players out of um, helping to run the program there. So what eventually happened was like, I started seeing essentially athletes, humans coming in that would want skill work. And it was just like, man, the last thing that you need is is this skill work. Like you've been, you've literally been doing baseball lessons since you're like six years old, like your swing, even if it wasn't perfect, like your swing is not really the thing that's holding you back here. It's like, it's the fact that when you take five swings in a row, like you don't know how to breathe after that or, or like whatever the case is. So like, from my perspective, the way that I look at things, it's like the, the base of skill work is understanding that we want an efficient human being because an efficient human being is going to respond to whatever stimulus that they get more quickly or better than a quote unquote, non-efficient human being. So like in terms of efficiency is just looking at like, okay, all your systems put together respiratory system, uh, muscular system, nervous system, like we have all these systems that work together to produce who you are as a human, as an athlete, as a mover on um, whatever the case is. If one of those systems isn't on the same level as the other, that's going to restrict your ultimate output. So when we go to skill work, like if I'm working with a baseball player and they want to improve their exit velo, for instance, it might have absolutely nothing to do with their actual swing, but it might have to do with something like physically that's holding them back that they can't do because they didn't develop this certain trait or this certain system is holding them back. Um, so long story short, I ended up kind of seeing that happen at the facility. Um, I took about three months off and not really off, but kind of took like some time to just process like what I was ultimately trying to do in this field or like with, you know, with this business that I had really. Um, and what that led to is me just diving down all these rabbit holes of like, okay, the the human being is the base of what an athlete is. How can we train that human being? And the result of that is I'm now kind of changed the name of it. So it's no longer DAC baseball. It's now DAC performance and health. Um, So that opens up like the ability for me to work with all humans. Like that's kind of how I look at it now, working with all humans, whether they're athletes, whether they're, you know, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, Um, if they have like any type of kind of chronic disease, I want to be able to open up to be able to work with everyone because like ultimately the specific skill that you display is just a result of your efficiency as a human being. Um, so that's kind of what brought about that transition was just like, I wanted to go back to that base level of what it means to be human and start training those things and the people that I work with.
0: Yeah. And I I think we can branch off into multiple routes there. But one of the things I want to talk about is that efficient human being piece, because that's something that I've been noticing. I've been deep into the learning and skill acquisition, like kind of routes of things. And just watching some of the best athletes that I train with uh, in the slow pitch softball world, in the football world, in whatever route it is, it's the athlete that can learn the new skill and whatever it is, maybe, maybe it's your swing. Maybe it's how you tackle, maybe it's getting into a position. It's, they're always higher level human beings. Like in a sense of, they have a huge foundation. They, they can move very efficiently. They they, there's so many things that they can do with their body. And then you tell them to do something else. And it's almost like that neural mapping is so huge. It's like, all right, I just have to take this little piece and branch it off this way, rather than creating like a whole new route, to perform that new skill. And you can tell instantly the athlete that doesn't have that foundation. And in the baseball world uh, for you, it's the like, all they've done is skill work. So their skill work is super high. And then in the football world, it's all they've done is barbell work. So their barbell work is really high, but the rest of that human being is kind of not developed. So trying to add new things to them right away is really tough. But once you level up that human in a sense, as you would say, like you level up that human, then adding new skill sets, adding new abilities to their kind of repertoire becomes so much easier, which is the point of a sports coach is to add new skill sets to that athlete.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think a cool thing to go with that, like, I think we were planning on talking about this more at the end, but it kind of fits in here really well, is the intention and awareness piece. So, like, you can have two athletes that do the exact same thing. Like, let's say one thing that I'll do is like a barbell loaded lunge for time. So you have two athletes that do this exact same exercise. They might even get the exact same time, like time in the lunge where they're not feeling right, but one of them is extremely aware of feeling what they're doing. So let's say 37 seconds and they're acutely aware of their left side. Glute is starting to fatigue. And as a result of that now it feels like their foot has to hip up hike or has to hike up higher off the ground to compensate for that, to keep them up. Like they're building this internal circuitry of it's like a relationship between them and their body. So because they have that intention, they have that awareness during the exercise in their training. Now, when they go to apply, like, let's say they're trying to do depth drop, like three sixty jump, land as stiffly as they can for the first time through their previous training, like, The lunge, which is an extremely simple exercise, right? Like it's, it's literally just stay in this one position for this certain amount of time or for as long as you can, or, or for as long as you want, however we're programming. It's super simple because it's so simple. They can hone in on what they're feeling and that builds that relationship for them. So now when they go to do that, like that 360 depth drop off the box, or they go to run a new route, like for a receiver or whatever the case is, they're now that much more aware of, of how their body works. So they can take and relate that lunge to like, okay, when I go to make a cut, I can like literally feel, I didn't quite have the pop on my foot on that one. Like I didn't quite have that tension in my foot that needed to be able to pop off quickly. Like it just starts to build that intention, that awareness of why you're training and knowing specifically what you're looking to feel helps to build that awareness to help transfer that to the actual skill work, which I think is a, it's a huge piece that does not get talked about enough in this, in this training sector.
0: And it creates, this is a big thing too. It it creates the conversation with that athlete around that piece, which I think is like you said, like it's not talked about. I talk about it a bunch in the presentations with my athletes is some of the stuff that you like, a lot of it is just trying to get them addicted to the learning aspect, addicted to the paying attention aspect side of training, because yes, In a sense, like we can't coach them in anything if that's not there. If they're not interested in it, if they're not even aware of it, none of what we're talking about, none of what we're telling them to do matters. So you need to get them to take ownership of their bodies and take ownership of their learning and skill acquisition routes of it by giving them awareness, telling them like what's actually happening, telling them to pay attention a little bit, and then getting them addicted to it.
1: Yeah. And that's, that also weighs into like, I think. (laughs) we're also going to talk about this, but like when we do, cause you said you'll program the same way where you'll go, like you have the certain exercise and you say 10 minutes or you say like until bored, like just do as many as you want, as many as you can, whatever you're feeling for that day in terms of like, you just talked about the athletes that are like best to work with, or that are going to have the best results are the ones that have that awareness. You have awareness around the things that you intuitively want to do. So, Like we think about like a baby learning to crawl. It's not like we write them a program and they're like, okay, like I have these like a thousand attempts today. Like once I get to a thousand, I'm done. I'm going to stop. Like that, that doesn't happen. So what I think we've done sometimes with training is like, we've turned it into almost like a nine to five job where, or even just like going to conventional school, like that's a whole nother topic. But anyways, just like this thing where we have, we have these very set, rigid, like linear schedules, and we're trying to follow those. And like we set those up, and then we wonder why, like, athletes can't tell us how they feel or tell us, like, what they want to do. Like, sometimes if you just ask an athlete, what do you want to do? They're like, I don't know, like, tell me what to do. So it's just like the way that we structure kind of determines what level of like buy in the athlete can have because mm-hmm. they need to have a part in that process. And that's where, like, the having, like sometimes I'll do like, like I said, I'll do like 10 minutes, do as many bench press liftoffs as you can, or as you want to. So that's like driven by them on that day. It's like, if they're having a day where they just aren't feeling super great, they can do less. If they're having a day where they're feeling great, like they can do more, but that process helps them to again, build that relationship with their body. Cause now they're starting to feel, Oh, this is a little bit off today, or this is feeling really good today. I can go, or like, this is how my body responds. Like there's all these different they need to have that internal conversation with themselves because that's going to help just like grow that awareness, that intention, and then like you said, allow us to have better conversations with them. Because like, there's nothing worse than the athlete who's just like, <laughs> I, I didn't feel anything. Like I don't know. Like there's nothing worse than working with that guy. So it's just like the way that we program stuff or the way that they're brought up has a plays a huge role into that.
0: Yeah, and, and you talked about kind of the way you set it up, and uh, you you have the collegiate football sector specifically. I can't speak of any mm-hmm. other sectors, but I've seen it. But it's like it's almost like you're you're hurting them like cattle, you know, like you 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 hurdle or you you herd them into the you're just literally the dog that what is a sheep dog. Like you're you're chasing them into the gym, into the field part of it. And then you chase and tell them exactly what to do and bark at them if they don't. And then you chase them all the way back into the weight room and you funnel them all into there. You have a 50 guys funneled back in there and you have everything laid out to them. And if they don't do it to a tee, then you bark at them. And then you wonder why there's a disconnect there. You wonder why yeah. like, you talk to them and they talk to you like they're cattle. They talk to you like they, they that either they're going to tell you what you want to hear or they're not going to tell you anything. Yeah.
1: It's like, well, what am I supposed to say here? What, what do you want to hear? Like, that's what I'm going to say. It's like, and that's super interesting just with the questions that you ask. Cause I think sometimes as coaches too, with athletes of like, I guess of quote unquote today, if you want to call it like, whatever, just like athletes that are kind of brought up in the the culture that we have today around, you know, super specialized around travel teams. Like if you ask a kid, like, how are you feeling today? And they say, good. Like it's kind of on the coach to just be like, to take that as good and move on or just be like, just kind of like continue staring at them (laughs) until they like expand on that. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's also partly on the coach to kind of build that culture within whatever setting you're in to actually be like, no, I'm serious. Like how do you actually feel today? And, and kind of dig that out because sometimes they just need permission to actually be able to talk because they just, they've never had that before in a train setting in a coaching setting or, or whatever the case is.
0: Yeah. And I mean the branch off on that, uh, this is like two years ago. I had an athlete, same exact situation asked, he was like off. I was like, man, what is up? I'm like, how are you doing today? Like, and he's usually super like talkative and happy. And he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing good coach. And he was telling me that. And I just sat there I'm like, dude, you are not doing good. What is up? And his parents, he just found out that morning, his parents were going through a divorce, you know, like yeah, and he's telling, he's telling you he's good, you know, like, and in a normal setting, that good is just going to go past good. All right. He's, he's just feeling tired. But it's like, if you don't set your session up, and your environment up in a way to where you can have that conversation, then fuck, you can plan, I, I plan a five rep max squat for him all I want. None of that fucking matters. If you can't have that conversation with him and set it up in a way of where he's paying attention and he feels comfortable if not to just say good and not branch off on that. You know, like it's almost like they're, especially guys specifically like the, the macho, like they just want to say good. they're like it, good, good, good. It's like, all right, that's bullshit. Like and yeah, the, and yeah. calling him out on part of it is too. is like, I, like, we don't have that answer anymore. Like you, that's bullshit. you you, you're either great, and amazing, or something's happening or you're all, like, just tell me the truth. So we can have a conversation about it rather than, uh, uh, allowing the good answer.
1: Yeah. And that's, it's super interesting. Cause like, that's also just, again, it's, that's kind of part of like culture, I guess, or part of like, what's normal is like, it's not, it's not necessarily like strong of you or like, it's not like, super macho or whatever to just be like, yeah, I'm good. Like I can handle whatever, like, it's harder to actually express what you're, what is going on. So like also having that conversation of like, I know like, and whatever team you're on, like, that's probably the way that it goes, but just like being able to express what you're actually feeling, what you're actually going through takes more, <laughs> takes more balls than just saying like, okay, I'm good. Like I can handle whatever. So yeah, I, yeah, I think that's super
0: important. And you talked about how I had saw your programs and I want to give a little backstory of I'm running through, it'll be the second week of four weeks. I always like to go through like a lot of coaches programming and you're up. I told you, I'm like, Hey, you're up. I better hit 500 feet here. (laughs) Better hit 500 feet. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, so I'm running through it right now. And that, that, that's where this conversation kind of started from is because, uh, I got week two and I saw some of these, like these, the way you set up the program and I'm like, Oh my God, like, it, it was cool to see, I, not that I should need, and I, I tell people, like, I shouldn't need that um, reinforcement, but I looked at that. I'm like, all right, either we're both onto something or we're both way to fuck off, which may, may, may be the case too, but yeah, that might was, be the case, <laughs> but we I saw it and it was like, the, it wasn't the three sets of 10 gold standard, you know, like it wasn't the three sets of 10 or the, you can only do 15 jumps. And in the, I don't know if you can take out the psychological aspect of it, but I think it'd be interesting to have you kind of discuss how you are able to program in that way, how you go about it specifically of 10 minutes of depth drop jumps. Like how do you, mm-hmm. how do you program that when, if the NSCA says we can only do like 10 of those a day, but you, you program 10 minutes or so we're doing one every 10, like how, how are you going about it? How do you approach the, the, the human body and what it's truly capable of and not what the three sets of 10 says we're capable of.
1: Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of that kind of traditional trained dogma is built off of very limited research. Um, like literally the, the point of research, the point of studies is to isolate one variable. So if all you base your training around is evidence-based research type of stuff, like you're literally basing your training around training the human, like a machine. And that's not what we are. So I guess probably the, Just for an example of that. So, like, this happened to me the other day. I was, I gave myself two exercises and I was like, do as many rebound reps as you can in 20 seconds. And you have 10 sets of it and just like alternate back and forth like a superset. This happens every time, no matter what exercise I'm doing. When I get about like 30 to 40% into it, I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, I want to stop. Like, my body's just like not feeling great. And I think, I don't know, but I think what that is, is that's usually the stop that I research. Or the point where a research study is going to stop, because they're going to be like, okay, that's the end of the of the human limit. Like you ran out of glucose or whatever the case is, right? But if you go past that, and you, once I get to like the fifth, sixth, maybe seventh set, then it's like, I don't know if it's like neural energy or what it is, but it's like holy shit, like I feel really good, and that will like carry through. But this is where it gets into the reason that I program that way is like the human is not this linear thing that's built like a machine. Like a machine your, your car is going to need an oil change every certain number of miles. Yeah. There's some variants on it, but like, it's strictly based upon how the mechanics of that work with a human, that would be like saying just for exercise purposes. Like once you run out of glucose, you're done, you can't do anything else. And, And that's not the case. So it's like part of my programming is to hopefully challenge the human to be able to find those deeper parts of themselves. It's not just to build their, like their physical being. Because like you mentioned at the start, I don't know if we can take the psychological out of it. Like, I don't think we can, because like muscle contraction comes from the brain. Like that is like psychological. So like, it's all tied. We can't separate any of this. So when I do 10 minutes of depth drops, it's literally like, this is the challenge you as a human. And the same person can do those, those 10 minutes of depth drops and be sore the next day and not be sore the next day. Sometimes just based upon their perception. So it's like challenging them through kind of this, like challenging all systems of their body to kind of get on the same line, to to get in this coherence to where they're like fully bought into that. And sometimes it just takes like that freedom and also that longer duration of time to be able to get there and to be able to uncover that.
0: Yeah. And you talked about kind of finding new parts to yourself in this. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was writing about the other day is like how I balance, I was thinking about this, like how I balance the two kind of mindsets and the the skill set part of it. So like I, I talk about this where I try to introduce something like uh teaching somebody that doesn't know how to do a cartwheel, a cartwheel. And you teach them that cartwheel. And it's not for the fact of being able to do a cartwheel. Like you're talking about maybe human foundation and physical, but it's almost like the mental part of how they found out they could do something they couldn't do before. And yeah. I look at that skill set part of it, that mindset part of adding something to their, to their human puzzle as like adding some width to their mental capacity of, all right, now they can do more. And the the isometrics and even lifting in a sense of now it's gonna be doing something that you can already do. But for longer, deeper, longer than you think you could do uh, isometric holds is a really good example, like a push up or a lunge hold for as long mm-hmm. as you can do. And now you, you broke that barrier. And now that's kind of like the depth barrier that you grew with your athletes. So now you're growing them like in the width aspect, adding new skills and adding that mental part of it to where they're like, all right, I can do this. What else can I do? But also the depth barrier of all right, I unlocked that part. I pushed past that part. Now, how deep can I push? And you're kind of trying to expand the athlete's mental model in that sense.
1: Yeah. And what's cool. So like at the start, we talked about, uh, like the most efficient athletes are able to kind of pick up those new skills quicker. Like they have that base. So this depth part that we're talking about, I think is part of that base. You know what I'm saying? Like they can, they can pull from that depth of they know like when you're going through 10 minutes of depth drops and you do that, or even like half an hour of depth drops, whatever the case is. And you do that, like, you know, what you're capable of to a much higher level. And because of that, like anytime you go to pick up a new skill, you just, again, you have that internal awareness of your body. You have that conversation and you know, like how to better adjust just within yourself without needing an actual coach. Um, and, and yeah, that's huge. I think that's a huge part of just like the, going for longer periods of time is letting the human uncover who they actually are. So then they, they can then take that base level, that base layer of who they are and apply it to whatever vertical they want, whatever skill they want.
0: Yeah. And like you said, stepping out as like, I am, it's just like, is, I'm not your coach, you know, like I'm not, you got to be your own coach. I'm here giving you this, yep. but like you have to start to learn what you're capable of, how far you're gonna push, what you're feeling like that day. And it's almost like the um, one one of the uh, guys that I train with, he just says like I'm the therapist there. Like I just sit there and tell him like either more or less, uh, give him some feedback, repeat the question that he gave to me. You know, like just give him that feedback, so he becomes his own coach. And I think that's powerful because then. They start to once you and it's so cool. Once you see an athlete get to that point, it's such a light bulb on moments of them directing things. And it's like they come in as this like robot and this like this cattle and they leave as like this person challenging what you wrote up, like challenging what they're thinking that day. And now it's that light on person and they are their own coach. Now they can, like you said, expand that to whatever field they decide to expand that to that day rather than leaving the session, checking off all the marks on their three by 10 workout plan. Yeah. I, I
1: honestly don't remember the last time that I did a three
0: by 10. So <laughs> that's awesome. And I kind of want to now expand this to less of the, um, the, 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 time limits and how we set up our workouts and more into this specific exercises, uh, methods, I should say mm-hmm. that you are choosing because, In your programming, you were really big into long duration isometrics. You're really big into rapid type movements, rebound movements. Um, And we haven't really, Dr. Tommy John touched on a little bit of why the methods specifically are so important, but why are we like, what are we doing with these movements? Cause in a lot of, and I think in our circles, we see it a lot, but in a lot of traditional circles, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really see specifically the rapid rebound type movements. A lot of the, the, the ball catches, a lot of just some, I I'm thinking of like the shoulder. I'm trying to explain the shoulder like series that you had uh just where it's yeah. like a rapid movement where there is no way and you, somebody else would look at that and be like what the fuck like you look like you're flapping your wings out
1: hey, there i i looked at it the first time and i was like what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> what am i doing but then when i was done i was like okay i guess i mean it's just it's like we're training the body so this works it looks so, weird as hell but
0: Yeah. So what are you trying to hit and what are we hitting with those type of movements that we are missing in, let's say a traditional, like barbell lift, traditional dumbbell type lifts. Like why are we adding in these type of movements in your programs?
1: Yeah. So I'll kind of break down the way that I have labeled as like exercise types. So just to give like listeners a little bit of a background, like let's say that you have a simple, a simple curl, everyone understands a curl. We can do the curl in a bunch of different ways. We can do literally just normal, like eccentric to concentric reps. We can do just concentric where let's say we're picking it up off of pins. We can go like eccentric, lowering super slow. We can go heavy isometric, just like squeezing with, you know, 25s on a barbell or something. Um, and usually that's kind of where things stop. But like where I kind of take that as okay, we can also do, rebound reps. So that would be like, okay, you start with a curl with your arms, with your elbows at 90 degrees, you're dropping the bar, taking your arms down, catching the bar and then bring it up as fast as you can. That's one way we can do it. I also have what I call RDCs. Um, So that would be like you have a PVC or you have something super light, start in that same position, you drop, you're trying to turn your palms away at the bottom and then come back up and you're trying to catch that light PVC on the way back up. So we can do them in that way. We can do Easy versus max ISOs. So these are going to be not loaded. Easy. ISO would be like, I guess easy ISO for a bicep. Technically you have to have a little bit of weight, otherwise you'd never fail. Let's say for easy ISO, you're just doing the barbell and you're holding there for as long as you can. You're just trying to resist gravity. Max ISO would be like, you're going for 30 seconds. You're squeezing the hell out of your tricep, trying to activate that as hard as your bicep. So all of those are just like, like literally examples of ways that we can branch off that curl. Right. So you asked about like the actual reason behind those. So for the max isos specifically, the reason that I do those is to learn how to turn on that antagonist agonist. So so that they can go back and forth as fast as possible. And people have talked about this, um, like what actually happens or how many times that actually happens in like a second, it's supposedly like 15 Hertz or 15 times per second, where they're alternating back and forth during a true maximal isometric. If you know how to like pull into position, um, really, I just like them. If we're talking about feel, I like them because if you're doing them, I guess, quote unquote correctly, it feels like you are just springy as hell. Like you have extreme control of your body in position to where you can, like, if you think about a running back, making a cut, like you can be extremely precise with that. So that's what I like those max isos for, for the easy isos. Honestly, I like these for that kind of psychological component. But if we go into just the physical, As you fail, or as you kind of, as gravity works to pull you down, as your muscles fail, you're literally working to create strength through length. Like you're just, you're getting into deeper joint angles. And right before you like physically fail, you're kind of at that deepest joint angle that you can get to. And you're working to be stronger to strengthen there. And if you think about the body in terms of like survival, that is the position in which the body feels like it's going to die because it's like the body wants to have comfort. So if we put it in those extreme positions and where we're trying to hold that as long as possible, like crazy shit starts to happen. Like you'll start to Twitch. Um, like on some of the videos that I have on my Instagram page, like you can see like literal twitching and and stuff like that going on. Um, you'll lose breath. Your mind will go over the place. So those are literally to train joint angles, deepest range of motion. So those are the two ISOs um, that I'll typically use. Rebound reps, I consider rebound reps or or depth drops kind of the same thing where there's an actual hard physical external object that we're working against. So think about that bicep curl being the barbell. You drop and then you're catching the barbell and immediately returning up to that 90 position as fast as you can. That would be an upper body example. Same thing could be a, a box like depth drop. So if you're standing on a box, you jump up, you land as stiff as you can on the ground and that's all you're doing. Those two for me are kind of like in the same category. One's just lower body, one's upper body. So what we're doing with those, the way that I think about it is we're stressing more of the tendon side of kind of that like tendon muscle connection point. Like we're stressing that the tendon side of things at a very high velocity, the reason that I'll do the rapid reps. So this would be like the RDCs where we were doing the PVC and that uh, bicep curl position right? When you catch that PVC, it's not going to be heavy like a barbell. Like there's not that super heavy external resistance that you're working against that is working more of the muscular end of that muscle tendon kind of connection point. Um, so when we use those two, we can kind of hit both sides of that. And when we go super high reps, that just, the reason that I go super high reps is kind of laid into what we already talked about in terms of, uh, just growing awareness and all that type of stuff. Um, but that's kind of the, base level reason of why I use the exercise types that I use more so than just like conventional training, because this is like another piece of it. So you talked about football, having a lot of conventional barbell lifts. If you do like a barbell lift at like, I don't know, 70% max or whatever (laughs) your program says to use, and you're doing sets of eight, for me, if I'm using a barbell, and I've talked about this on my Instagram as well, I wanna use a barbell in the way that it was specifically designed. And the reason that really we have barbells is to load as heavy as we can. So like generally, if I'm using a barbell, it's to load the end range or like the top, quote unquote, top range of a movement as heavy as we can. So that would be like a bench press liftoff. It would be like a squat liftoff, um, like a rack pull. Those are just some examples. And the reason that I don't do kind of that mid range type work is because we're not working at like 90% plus of actual like muscle contraction. So that's not super beneficial. We're also not moving super fast. So like on a depth drop or something like that, we're, we're creating that extremely fast collision. So I just don't see a lot of benefit of doing conventional, like, I guess, conventional lifting schemes in terms of six, eight reps, three, four sets, um, stuff like that. So that's, let me know if I need to explain those any deeper. Um, but that's kind of the base level of why I program those the way that I do.
0: No, I think that's great. And I think the the barbell explanation is good because I I see that as same, like unless you want to stay in the middle ground or you just want to show off slash enjoy it, like that's all the barbell is going to give you, you know, like we'll do, we'll do barbell lifts a lot of times, just because the athletes really want it in their program or they want to do Mm -hmm. something. But if you think about end ranges, like, you're going to get way longer duration in an ISO if you want to go super slow and long, uh, and you're going to get way faster contractions doing a jump or any athletic movement really. And that, that, that's something that I've been seeing too. And also like if you are going to do a lot of stuff that I see with the barbell stuff is like when I was running it, I was like, I was using it in a very similar manner probably three or four months ago, where it's literally just doing once. Like I was, if I'm going to do the barbell thing, it's just going to be something heavy. I'm going to get that heavy stimulus. And then with the the rest of it's going to be the the foundation or athletic type movement. But yeah, like trying to stay out of the middle ground of a middle ground type move, Like we kind of turned that barbell into that middle ground of it's not super heavy and it's not super fast. So what are we doing there?
1: Yeah, it's literally, I mean, I guess it's great. So if you're trying to like build hypertrophy or like if you're not an athlete and you're just like, man, I want to have big biceps at the beach this summer. Like, sure. Do you know, do your, four sets of 10 curls, like at the end of your session and your tricep extensions or, or whatever the case is. Um, so like there is benefit there, but in terms of training, like, yeah, like human function, like, cause all of people say like, well, why don't you do a full barbell lift? Cause like, you can still get super heavy with a full lift. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can, but we want, for me, I want to maximize the hell out of that stimulus by going super, like just right at the top. And then we're going to be able to get full range. Like Trust me, if you do the programs like we're going to get full range at that deep range of motion in an ISO and you're going to be there for a very long time. And then that middle ground will just kind of fill in itself well, when think, you hit those when you hit those two end
0: ranges. Yeah. And I think the what, what you just brought up brings me t- to my next question is we have we have those methods now. And this is a question I, I I get myself a lot is like, how do you program all of the methods that you talk about into a, a program in a sense in something that yeah. makes sense and is not hodgepodge? And you you talked about how if you do your program, you're going to work and range and the, the, the high force, um, short range of motion. Like mm-hmm. how are you going about it mentally? Not that you need a specific layout cause it, it's not the traditional setup. So like yesterday, I don't want to give away your program, but yesterday, no, uh, go ahead. I did, I we did, uh, we did sprints and the Nordics right after sprints. So something like yeah. traditionally you want to see set up in that setup. What is your thought process and how are you going about approaching, building a program out?
1: Yeah. So that's, it's super interesting because like some of it is like, I want it to be chaotic, but there's also obviously, you know, methods behind why I'm writing what I'm writing. So it really depends on like the, if it's a sport athlete, like it depends on where they're at in their sport. So like, let's say you're in season as a baseball, as a football player, you're going to be getting a lot of the kind of high speed type movements. Like if you think about a pitcher, they're going to be, like they're going to be doing that elastic type stuff. If they're a reliever, like a couple times a week, if they're a starter, like once a week or whatever the case is, their football players, like they're going to be getting that when they go into the game for the most part. So I guess it, it starts with the baseline of understanding the adaptations that those are going to create. So like if you have a, an athlete, a human, that is getting that high speed type work as a result of their sport, like it's super heavy there, then I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum and I'm going to go, long duration ISOs. And I'm going to go RDCs because we want to train more of that muscular end or more of that connective tissue type. end. does that make sense? Yep. Like if they're already getting a lot of that super dynamic type work, then we'll go there. If I'm training someone that is not in season. And so they don't have that super high workload there. That's when we're going to hit more of like, basically they're going to have more bandwidth at that time to be able to go into more experimentation in their training. So we'll still do some, long duration isometrics. We'll still do some of that, but we're going to work in a little bit more variability in terms of like, okay, we're going to go super heavy today. Like we could go super heavy front squat, um, lift off for like four to six inches range of motion, pair that with high depth drops, like whatever that means to you go back and forth between those two. So that's kind of hitting that high force as well as that tendon side of things. And then after that might go to a wall sit for five minutes and you're just holding as long as you can, you know, two nose breasts when you fail and go right back into it, it's going to suck. But understand like we need to train, (laughs) we need to train all these different ranges, um, that you have. So that's how, that's kind of a base of how I look at it. Um, if I'm just training a a general human that isn't like in their sport or or isn't an athlete, then it's like, yeah, I have all these different methods that we want to hit. And we're going to hit all of them over the course of, you know, three, four weeks. Cause I think that's another thing that gets a little bit construed is, is thinking that if we're doing something, we need to do it every single week. Like you have to hit your heavy back squat every single week on every single Monday. No, not really. Like if you hit it every two weeks and you have kind of this variability worked in, um, I think that's, that's a better way to do it. And I found that, you know, just gotten better results with that type of, with that type of programming. Yeah. It
0: keeps me entertained, which is, which is good. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one of the last questions of this podcast, one of the things that I want to hit with you is how you kind of bring nature into your training. Uh, yes. we've had, uh, we've had a couple guests on, um, that, that we've talked about this on, and you made me, you didn't make me, but I saw on your Instagram that you brought <laughs> a tree and we're using it as a pull-up bar, like a branch and you're using it as a pull-up bar. I'm like, that is a fucking awesome idea. I love that. So two days ago I I walked to the park um, grab two sticks out of this park and walk like two miles back and the amount of looks I was getting and we were using them for a pull-up bars. But I I love that thought process because we've been, we've been doing a bunch of stuff outdoors with our athletes already, trying to get them to climb trees and that type of stuff. But a lot of times it's not feasible to really bring our athletes to trees and that type of stuff. But how are you approaching bringing nature into your training with the rocks? Uh, I've seen you do stuff with water. I've seen you do stuff with trees. How are you kind of approaching that?
1: Yeah, so... First of all, that, that made my day when I I saw you had tree branches, I was like, heck yeah, let's go. Um, so yeah, the reason that I brought mine in was like, I think, I think I brought it on a Monday and on a Sunday I usually go on like these pretty long walks, just kind of like whatever. So there's this place that I go to that it's like this rock kind of drop off. You're looking out over water and there's like a tree branch hanging there. So I just, I probably spent like 20, 30 minutes there doing some ISOs, doing some hanging, just like with this really nice setting. Um, so next day I was like hanging on the pull bar, and I was like, man, I just, I just want to be able to hang on the tree branch when I want. So I like went, same thing as you like drove to this place that I walked, probably took me like 15 minutes to find a branch. I had to like break it a little bit threw it in the back of my car. there was like four feet sticking out on the passenger end. So I was like, Oh boy, cause I had to drive, uh, it was probably like seven or eight miles and it's normally on highway. So I had to kind of like take this back, <laughs> back route, but, like, man, I just hope I don't get stopped. I ended up making it. Um but yeah. So like the reason that I'm doing that is if we, cause like you also talked about the rocks. Um, so like I'll do heavy single leg, like barbell way to stand on rocks. Um, the reason that I'm doing that is if we think about our environment, if we think about everything that that's around us and we kind of compress it down into the most basic level of what it is, all it is, is it's information that our body's receiving. So we have if we're inside, we have light that's coming in our skin. Our eyes has receptors that is interpreting that light. We have the floor that we're sitting, that we're walking on. We have the chair that we're in. We have the, like the visual environment that our eyes are seeing. All of this is literally information coming into our body that it's then responding to. Right? If we're in an environment like a typical work environment, like a school environment, Like a classroom, I'm thinking, um, even it could be like a typical gym environment. That environment never changes. So, what can end up happening is those pathways through which we interpret this environment and then create our response, these pathways never change. And so, those pathways can like chronically be overused and then wear out. Like, if you think about when we're outside in nature, in the morning, the sun comes up, it goes, you know, through the sky, like whatever we rotate around it. And then at the end of the day, like it ends on the other side, midday, it's like up at top. So all throughout the day, we're getting these different areas of the light spectrum. We're getting different strengths of it. Like literally every single second that is changing just a little bit. So the pathways that our body takes that in through, like we're continually using slightly different pathways throughout the day. We think about temperature and the morning it's usually a little bit colder, warms up midday, early afternoon. It's the hottest it gets cold again at night. If we're inside, usually it's like 68 to 72, doesn't change all day. Again, just another example of the temperature is at the base level, just a source of information coming into our body that we then have to use, respond to whatever. So like, I think something that gets forgotten about a lot is that we are nature. Like we talk about getting out into nature, but really like we are nature, we are a part of it. Right? So we're meant to be out in that environment that is constantly changing and that like, isn't just this same, like, I always call it like <laughs> stop living in like, this is like this kind of same level of awareness in the same level. Um, when we get outside, we're getting that constantly changing stimulus. So like you're literally stimulating your body at a much wider range than if you're just inside in a gym, in your workspace, wherever the case is. So like, I think. You know, we can talk about the benefits of the sun. We can talk about the benefits of like water of rocks of doing all these things in terms of like proprioception in terms of, you know, red light from the sun, full light spectrum. We can talk about all that. But I think at the end of the day, it's like our body is made to have this environment that is constantly changing. And when we don't have that, we can chronically fatigue from the environment that we're constantly in. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And this okay. this kind yeah. of something in my head kind of rolling. So I'm reading Nick Winkleman's uh, Nick Winkleman's book, uh, language. of What is it? Language language of coaching. Um, and in it, he talks about how the body reacts to new stimulus that's presented. The, the old stimulus, everything that's around you that it's used to, it doesn't react to anymore. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't become aware of it because it wants to save that energy for something that's new. And what you just got me thinking about there is if we have our athletes and we just have these everybody's going through they're used to the same environments at all times and they're never exposed to any new stressor when there is a new stressor and they haven't been exposed to it that how much that is going to how much more that is going to stress them out and drain them and how they have to react to it because they haven't been used to reacting to new stressors their body hasn't been brought aware to new stressors whereas if you train in a sense to as basic as it sounds being a, a ready for everything yeah, I think when a stressor pops up in everyday life and when a stressor pops up, like it's not the end of the world because you, you've been exposed to different stressors, you've been exposed to different things and your body's kind of used to new stimulus coming in rather than the same thing at all moments. Does that make sense? I, I just, my brain went, No, it,
1: it does. Like if you think about it, like physiologically, how you, because basically all we are, <laughs> I guess like is this set of experiences that we have. Right. And so the the physical, like the physical manifestation, if you want to call it that, of these experiences are these circuits within our from our brain to our body. So like electricity in your brain is like the result of a thought. Right. That gets turned into neurotransmitters, neurochemicals, gets released as hormones, that creates a feeling in your body. Sensory system within your body sends that signal back up to the brain, and then it becomes this loop. Right. So when we get the same experience over and over again, we're thickening the rope of that loop. that's how I think about it. But we can also thicken the rope of the loop of how we adapt to new like shit that we're presented with. So if you're constantly being presented with different stimulus, like there's a little physiological reason that you're better at responding to those It's because like, you know how to handle new stimulus. So it's a, yeah, it's exactly what you said. That makes, that makes complete sense.
0: Well, boom. I think we crushed this podcast. Before we go, I want to ask you one last question, maybe put you on spot a little bit here. Um, but the, do you have some resources or books that you can shoot to the listeners to kind of take them down some of these rabbit holes that you've brought up? Uh, if they want to explore a little bit deeper into some of the things that you're talking about that they could take and they look into?
1: Oh, man. Um, let me see here. In terms of the the perspective that I kind of look at things from like, we've talked on before, Dr. Tom, John, he's the man. I love the way that he looks at things. Um, so like anything from him, in terms of the attention awareness side of things, I love, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Are you familiar with his work? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he, he does a really good job at breaking down attention, intention and awareness into what's actually happening in the body. Um, he has a couple of books that are out. So, like read those. He has a bunch of podcasts. We definitely recommend him as a resource. For the ISOs, if you can get past all the BS of all the drama that goes into it, um, Jay Schroeder, anything that he has, he doesn't have a whole lot out, but like <laughs> that'll take you down some rabbit holes. Just please, like, don't get stupid with it. Like, have some common sense, honestly, is the biggest thing with that. Um, and then in terms of like actually kind of understanding the body what i what i always tell people is it's not easy it's not always the most fun thing but just looking into getting like actual textbooks so like medical textbooks looking at like like physiological textbooks looking at just how the body works but as you go through these because i started to notice this a lot of these are are written in a way where it looks at everything is wrong with the body And anything that happens with the body is we just need to come up with this fix, come up with this pill, come up with this drug to fix it. So just be aware of the perception that you're reading those through, like understanding that the body is in and of itself is healthy. Um, Any response that you have is the correct response. You need to change the input that you're getting, not the response. So as you go through these textbooks, take away the part that is talking about how the body works, not the solutions that they have. So solutions that they have are just treating the body like a machine, treating it as like this linear type of um, machine,
0: which we aren't. So, Boom. That, that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you for being yeah. on for part two. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.